Welcome to the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you understand the Bible better so you can have a better relationship with God and what your pastor never told you.com, helping you navigate the end times so you can stand firm until the return of Christ. Get ready. This is not your average Bible study. This is not for the faint of heart. If it's controversial and in the Bible, we'll talk about it. We are unashamedly, unabashedly, and unpredictably bringing out the truth in God's Word. And now, introducing your dynamic hostess with the mostest. She's an international speaker, author, and self-admitted nerd for the Word, Dana Crosby. Are you ready for what your pastor never told you about the fall feast? That's coming up next. Make sure to visit whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com. Hey everybody, this is Dana with the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you to understand the Bible better so that you can have a better relationship with God. Welcome to Bible study today. If you're new here, consider subscribing down below because we offer new and amazing content two and three times a week. If you haven't yet, I wanna encourage you to hop on over to my brand new website, whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com because we are posting all of our videos and it's soon to be podcasts and other materials. We're going to be posting those all in one convenient site for you online because we have been finding that more and more where Christians are facing censorship and persecution online via YouTube, via Facebook and Google, where these resources are now being shut down or closed more and more to uh, Christian messages. And so we wanted to have this material available to you in a way that you will always be able to access it at whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com. Now, you guys know that have been following this channel for a while. We usually do Bible studies each and every week, and we are right in the middle of an amazing End Times Bible Prophecy series, and we are continuing that with you guys. But today, I actually have a really special guest here that I'm going to be interviewing with you guys today. Um, I am so excited. We have with us an amazing guest today here to answer some of our questions about the fall feasts. Now, many of you guys that are in Christianity maybe have never even heard about what the fall feasts are. Maybe some of you are vaguely familiar with the fall feasts but haven't really studied them too deeply. What you will want to know is the fact that God set up his feasts, his appointed times, and these feasts are actually dress rehearsals for fulfillment by the Messiah. And so he gave them to his people Israel so that they would be able to know and recognize when Messiah came. And actually Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts in the spring, the spring feasts, he fulfilled all of those during his first coming. So we are coming now to his second coming. That's going to be coming up at some year in the future. We don't know which year that's going to be, but we know that he is going to fulfill these other feasts that he established. These are appointments on his calendar that he is not going to miss. And so we have a special guest here today, Pastor Emmanuel Gomez. Pastor Gomez is here to share with us a little bit more about the fall feasts. Pastor Gomez is the head pastor and rabbi of One New Man Temple of Hope. He is both an ordained minister and an ordained messianic rabbi. He is the host of internationally syndicated radio show called Crossing Over, and that's on Messianic Lamb Radio. He's also a conference and congregational speaker, and he is not only a speaker, but a worship leader at various conferences and um, engagements, as well as breakout sessions. He also enjoys leading congregations in the Messianic Passover Seder meals and teaching as well. So welcome to the program, Pastor Gomez. It's so great to have you here. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background. Are you Jewish? When did you meet Messiah? Tell us a little bit about your background. I think that's the million dollar question here. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, here's my background. I was brought up in a believing home. Mm -hmm. uh, my my parents were actually, uh, well, my mother uh, and my grandparents were Roman Catholic. But now here's where there's a twist to this is uh, they were Roman Catholics. And uh, but my mom ended up becoming a born again believer. And then uh, she would actually uh, teach me scripture. And since a very young age, I still have the actual children's Bible that she got me with these really cool paintings in it. Oh, cool. Um, and so she trained me up in the way that I should go. Uh, she felt, though, you know, well, what if grandma doesn't have any more time? I want you to do your communion confirmation. I, I, to be honest with you, and, and, and this is no disrespect, but I just was not into it. But I did it for grandma's sake. However, throughout the years growing up, I noticed grandma didn't do a lot of certain things that weren't Catholic. Mm 
She she did have those Catholic candles, but then she had another set of candles she'd light. Um, and then she had like bread that was looked like crackers. I found out it was matzo. So I did a little research, and uh, I have some friends that are Jewish. Unfortunately, they're they're not believers yet. Um, I have hope though. Mm -hmm. um, and they basically, you know, have always I was always very close to them. Their mother invited me to a Passover Seder. They said, well, we, we like this guy for some reason. Let's let's invite him. And so they started asking me questions. And their mom says, it's possible that you may have uh, some Jewish background, some Hebrew background. Uh, they're known as the Sephardic Jews, which were the Jews that were cast out of Spain and Portugal. And they went into Latin America and the Caribbean and spread out. Uh, and so the rabbi did some research on, on the last names and the surnames and uh, says, yeah, there's there's a good chance that, yes, you are uh, Sephardic. Uh, but, you know, of course, DNA also says I've got Gentile blood, too. So I guess I have the best of both worlds. But <laughs> <laughs> in reality, I was brought up a believer, but I always felt that there was something missing mm -hmm. and uh, a connection to the first half of the book always did. And so I did exploring. I started doing Shabbat. I'd actually go to Shabbat, and then I'd go to church on Sundays. Uh, and so I kind of did both. And uh, my journey ended up taking me to where uh, I believe the Holy Spirit gave confirmation through not just to myself, but through other pastors and, and people that uh, that I would be like a Peter and a Paul. I would witness to the Jew and to the Gentile uh, so that there could be a unity, which they're supposed to be in Messiah anyways. Amen. Amen. Well, that's really cool and exciting. That's so awesome about your family history to find out that you have a little of both worlds. And so that is what really kind of started your journey on being interested in the Jewish culture. Is that where the interest started from? Yeah, you know, it, it's it did start in, for the Jewish culture, but um, I've always been a, a God culture or, you know, a, a Yah culture, Yahweh, sure for Yahweh. Um, and so while I do enjoy a lot of the things from the Jewish culture, I really wanted to get to know him uh, more mm -hmm. uh, in, in his ways. Uh, but again, some of these things did develop in the Jewish culture. And there's a lot of beautiful things in the Jewish culture. Uh, I may not follow a, a lot of those things, but I, I do appreciate them at the same time. Awesome. Well, that's very cool. Thanks for that introduction. So in getting to the feasts, can you give our viewers a brief idea of how many feasts there are and kind of like what times of year they're being held? Sure. There is. OK, so this is another million dollar question <laughs> uh, <laughs> because there's there's people that like, you know, they'll actually debate. OK, about this. OK, so last it's funny you asked this, too, because yesterday at service I was telling our congregants technically there's really eight feasts and the number eight represents a new beginning mm -hmm. because when you go to Leviticus 23, the very first one they start with is the Sabbath. Now they'll say, but wait a minute, if you keep reading, then Passover, Unleavened Bread, then there's nine. Well, here's where the tricky part comes in. So <laughs> most people go with seven. So I'll just go with seven. I don't want to confuse anyone, but there's seven. Uh, so people usually start off with Passover and they break, uh, break unleavened bread. They break it with unleavened bread. They break it in half. Uh, the problem is, is that the technicality is, is that Passover is a memorial, but really the feast begins on unleavened bread. Okay. And so, uh, really, if you want to merge the two into one, then I can see that. But otherwise, they'll say Passover, unleavened bread. Uh, then you have the Feast of First Fruits, which is the third. Uh, then you have the Feast of Weeks, known as Shavuot, uh, which later is fulfillment of Pentecost in the New Testament. And then you have the uh, Yom Teruah, or some people use Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and then you have Yom Kippur and Sukkot, which is uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. Awesome. Okay, so that's kind of a brief overview of some of the feasts as far as their names. So which sure. of these feasts has Messiah already fulfilled? Okay, so again, another million-dollar question. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the reason is, is the more you study throughout the years, the more the Holy Spirit will reveal things to you. Um Technically, the you know most people will say, well, he's just fulfilled the spring feast, which I I agree. Uh, I'm I'm technical as far as the Yom Kippur. I say he partially fulfilled that, and the reason why I I believe that is because um, while yes, he came, uh, he, he shed his blood uh, to atone for our sin and you know to save our souls, um, but then he does atone for other things that you read about in Revelation, and you know eventually you're going to get a new body, so. 
I believe that, yes, it's partially fulfilled, but there's going to be an even bigger fulfillment. But to be on the safe side, I'll go with everyone. Yeah, the spring feasts have been fulfilled and the fall are, as you said, a dress rehearsal. Well, yeah, and the thing is, too, a lot of times God works in patterns and he fulfills things partially in part, you know, and then later there's greater and greater fulfillments of those things. So it wouldn't surprise me at all that he has in part fulfilled some of the fall feasts. But we do anticipate and look for the final culmination of the fulfillment of those feasts. Sure. Yeah. So um, so it's absolutely fascinating. And what I think is so cool is that God has fulfilled each of these spring feasts on the exact day. It wasn't like it was kind of close or whatever. It's like literally on the exact day he fulfilled these things. So um, tell us a little bit more in more detail about the fall feasts. And so how many are there and what order do they go in? And and if you know like what the dates are this time, you know, for this year, maybe people would be interested to know when they are this year if you happen to know. Sure. Um, okay. Well, again, sure. The the fall feasts they fall in line with uh, Yom Teruah, which is AKA Rosh Hashanah. Uh, some people in our walk like to use Yom Teruah because it's a little bit more of a literal translation. The day of blowing, uh, you know, the day of blowing, the day of breaking from the Book of Numbers and uh, and so forth. But again, it falls into Yom Teruah, which is the first one, or Rosh Hashanah. Then the next one is Yom Kippur. Uh, and then there is Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, awesome. So Yom Teruah is also known as the Feast of Trumpets. That one comes first. And from a Jewish perspective, you know, what do they see this holy day as being all about? What's the overall attitude? Um, and how do they commemorate this time? Sure. Uh, well, it's it's r- rather fascinating in how the Jewish community um, celebrates this. This is a time where... The month of Elul began, okay, like I believe last month it began, and it ties into Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah, and what it is in Jewish tradition is uh, there's a concept called Teshuvah in Hebrew, and it means repentance, to turn back to God, and so basically um, it is, it's a time to seek forgiveness, Jewish people will seek forgiveness, uh, and it leads up to Yom Kippur. Uh, be, and because of the fact that Jews believe that this is the time of year where, you know, you really want to get things, the last things right with your neighbor, with God, uh, so that you can be written in the book of life for Yom Kippur. Uh, and so there's a saying that they'll have, it's called Leshana Tova. And what that means is may your name be written or may may it be inscribed. It can be taken a couple different ways. Okay. Uh, but. They believe that the book of life is open on Yom Kippur, and if your name has been sealed, then you made it. You got another year, um, you know, to to you know to live basically. And then, um, you know, again, the beauty of it is, is and then people, the, the Jewish people, will eat apples and honey, and they'll say, uh, you know, this is a sweet new year. May you be inscribed for the a sweet new year. So those are some of the things that Jewish people will do. It's very serious. Um, a very serious time of year. There's a lot of a bunch of traditions I don't want to get too much into because uh, it's just there's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, the main concept is is getting things right, uh, making things right, uh, you know, and then leading up to hoping that your name is written in the book of life. Mm-hmm. Of course, the, the messianic application or to the believer, uh, you can apply these things. But I believe these things, you know, obviously you want to be right with your neighbor as much as you can 365 days a year. Right. Uh, but it's still a good principle. Right. Okay. So the overall feeling is kind of this idea of humbling yourself, coming in mm-hmm. repentance before God, really taking a time for serious introspection, kind of evaluating your life, seeing what maybe needs to be changed, that type of thing. I mean, I know there's a lot of secular Jews that they, and, and same thing with Catholics and stuff too, where it's like you can kind of play how you want to and in the world and then come back to confessional later and feel like it's all absolved. And so, you know, we don't agree with that kind of idea of it. But um, but yeah, there. and I just wonder, like, can you answer a little bit more about like from a messianic perspective, what do you see like from a prophetic perspective? What do you think this fall feast will signify? And is it sp- something specific maybe even for Israel that's going to happen in the future um, around this around this time? What do you think? Sure. Well, again, a uh, great question from a messianic perspective. Uh, there's a lot of uh, idiomatic expressions in the Bible, even in the New Testament. Uh, there's a lot of Hebraic uh, ex- uh, idioms. Now, I do understand that it was uh, written in Greek. However, there are there is a lot of idioms that you can find there if one knows what to look for. Well, as far as the prophetic expression goes, um, okay, so you've heard the famous in Matthew 24, um, the the no man knows the day or the hour, right? 
And so every year you've got people saying, well, this is the year, this is the year, this year. And I try to tell them, I try to tell them in love, tough love. I mean, you've gotten to know me. I, I'm pretty blunt, but I do love. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, but again, the, the um, no man knows the day or hour, excuse me, um, is an idiomatic expression to um, the Feast of Trumpets. Okay. Now, again, what day, what year, <laughs> and I don't know. Right. But, but why, is, okay, so why was it that they said no man knows the day or the hour? Is this because they had to have the sighting of the new moon? Or what was the reason that they, they didn't know what day it was going to happen? Um both you actually answered both actually which is the, it was had to do with the sighting of the new moon and there had to be two witnesses okay and when the two witnesses would sound the shofar and they'd sound the trumpets uh they would declare the new moon and bam there was yam Teruah or rosh hashanah you know mm-hmm. uh so it had to do with the with the new moon you're absolutely correct uh also there's there's more in matthew 24 as far as a prophetic uh, messianic application to it um is where he says um he will come as a thief in the night Mm-hmm. Now, to give you a short version, and I'm trying to like, I've got so many things running in my head. I want to tell you, so excited. Yeah. Um, the thief in the night ties into the new moon too, okay. which you had answered. Uh, basically, that is another idiomatic expression there, where they would say the the new moon comes like a thief in the night. Uh, the reason for that is because the new moon could only be calculated to some point. Okay. So, like for instance, let's say they said the new moon should appear latest the thirtieth of the month. Sometimes it could actually appear a day or two later. Okay. So you couldn't really predict it. I mean, you could, but you couldn't be 100% sure always. Mm-hmm. So it comes like a thief in the night. It's, it's an expression. Now, another one which I'm really excited to share with you guys, a big golden nugget, is um, the thief in the night also applies to there is um, there was a man named Alfred Edersheim. He was a Jewish man who became a Christian, and uh, if anyone's interested, he wrote a, a series of books. Um, there's one called, uh, I think it's called Jesus in the the Temple, uh, but Alfred Edersheim is his name. Anyways, he speaks of how um, there was uh, the temple priest, he would be on watch, on guard, and the priest could not fall asleep, and if a priest, because they had to keep the fire rotating at night in the temple, so if the priest was caught falling asleep, then the, the one of the high priests would come or the, the higher level priests would come and throw hot coals on him. He'd start doing this. He'd strip naked and he'd have to run out and people would see his shame that he fell asleep. So oh. that priest came as a thief in the night. Okay. And so there's, <laughs> I mean, those are little golden nuggets. It's like, wow. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and the doors were closed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another prophetic where, too, where uh, it talks about, you know, where they would close the doors of the temple during Yom Teruah. They would sound the trumpets. And what would happen or Rosh Hashanah, they'd sound, they'd sound the trumpets and people would just from wherever they were at would go and they'd try to get to the temple as fast as they could. And then once they did, the doors would be shut. And then outside, now check, check this out. Now outside, those that were left outside were left in outer darkness. Wow. Wow. See, so I, it's, it's fascinating. And then one more uh, is Paul, of all things. Paul in Thessalonians. Uh, in fact, let me just read this real quick. It's First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. And this has to do with the, the messianic prophetic fulfillment. First um, Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, 1 through 11. I'm not going to, well, I shouldn't read all of it. But basically, uh, I'll read the main points where he says here, um, but concerning the, the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Now, these were people, people need to understand that Paul, is, even though he's talking to the Thessalonians, he had taught them. Uh, uh, these were things that were taught. The feasts were actually taught. Okay, And he says, you have no need uh, for me to tell you about the seasons or the times because they knew. Mm-hmm. They come to know them. Um, then he says, for yourselves perfectly know that the day of the Lord comes as what? A thief in the night. And then, of course, um, you know, if you go down a little bit further, um, let's see. Well, I'll go to verse 9 here. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. Uh, And so, again, uh, this all ties into that prophetic fulfillment. There's another one where Paul talks about the trumpets being blown in Thessalonians and how the dead in Messiah will be raised and those that are alive and remaining will be caught up. Uh, even revelation i will come as a thief in the night so there's so much prophetic fulfillment as far as is that's why they believe it would be the return of messiah 
but as to what day or hour, well, we, no one knows. So. so when you're reading these from a Jewish perspective and you understand what these idioms mean, they're, they're, they're signposts pointing, they're like clues saying, hello, it might be right here, Yom Teruah. You know, we don't know which year Yom Teruah and, and any given year, we don't know which day specifically Yom Teruah is going to fall. And so we're supposed to keep watch like what those priests were doing. They're supposed to be keeping watch, waiting, staying awake and not being caught falling asleep during that time. But we're supposed to see the signs that they're coming and pay attention. Well, I'm so excited about these things because I think a lot of um, Gentile Christians, they read these things and they totally miss the point because they don't understand the Jewish idioms. You know, when they, when Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, they think, okay, that means it could be any time. And we have no idea. It could be any day. And they don't realize that he is speaking to a Jewish group of people that understood what that meant, that that was actually pointing to a specific feast of the year, Yom Teruah. And then of course, like you brought up the other um, allusions to the blowing of the trumpets, blowing of the shofars during that time at the last trump, it kind of makes sense that it's pointing to that day. So we don't know what year it's going to happen. And even any given year, we don't know which day, but, um, but that's saying, hey, Feast of Trumpets is probably going to be for his return, probably. <laughs> sure, absolutely. And, you know, to back up what you're saying, too, is, is that um, this also ties in with the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins who kept their lamps burning, okay. you know, in the night. And this again ties into being ready, as you said, being prepared. And it's a good, again, a good principle for all believers because we should be watching, we should be prepared. And unfortunately, I see a lot of people, and again, this, I mean, no disrespect, I see a lot of people that they don't have that attitude, like, hey, we need to be watching, you know, eh, well, you know, who knows, but you know, um, to me, I get excited. I'm like, okay, you know, uh, let's watch. Let's see. You know, I'll pay attention to the news sometimes. What's going on? You know, you know, even if it didn't happen in my lifetime, it's okay. It was still, it was a time to watch. And then I can teach the next generation, hey, be on watch. If it happens in your generation, then you're going to get to see something that I long to see, you know? Right, exactly. Nice. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so. exactly. I long for that day. And I think our viewers do too. So the next, um, the next holiday that we have is called Yom Kippur, right? And that one is related to Yom Teruah. Can you tell us how it's related and what it's all about? Sure. Um, it's related in the sense of that this is the Day of Atonement, and actually it, it actually translates more to uh, Day of Atonements, which is pretty interesting. Mm. Um, day of Atonements is basically the day where, again, you know, uh, you know, there was a two lambs brought out and one was sacrificed, and there was another uh, scapegoat that was taken out okay into the wilderness and it would you know die off or whatever um and so without getting too technical uh yam basically yam kippur ties in in the sense of okay so yam teruah the trumpets have sounded now it depends some people debate on when we're actually going to be caught up for the wedding feast i mean some people say after before uh some people believe that that it'll be sometime in between but basically yam kippur is where now he's atoning for things um, things are happening on the earth where he's, you know, he's going to atone for the earth. He's going to atone for everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and some people believe that it is where we are uh, caught up to be prepared for the wedding feast. So, mm -hmm. uh, again, that's for like a messianic perspective of it. Uh, but it ties into that. And again, that in, in the Jewish culture that the book, book of life was open and your name was inscribed. So. Uh, that's like the short answer I can give to that. <laughs> is that is that holiday uh, related to judgments or decisions that are happening? Is that kind of like the final day, supposedly, or or is that not in that uh, about that? Um, no, it's okay. Uh, the, as far as the final day, uh, yes and no. I, I would say, as far as judgments, yes. Basically, again, Laura, again, uh, when he first came, looking at it from a messianic lens, um, when he first came. You know, he atoned for our for our sins, and he and he atoned for our soul. Hallelujah! Mm -hmm. When he returns, he's going to atone. You you hear about the earth being renewed, and you know the fire, how it's going to be consumed with fire, and all that. So mm -hmm. there is judgment happening. Mm -hmm. So yes, I would say that it does tie into judgment, but it's mainly uh, doing with the judgment of. Uh, Again, being written in the book of life. I mean, okay. that's the shortest answer. Okay, so yeah. it's more about being having your name written in the book of life. That's what that is all about. Yeah, I mean that's a short answer uh, mm -hmm. without getting too complex into it. But otherwise, it, it does do it does tie in as you said to to judgment too, 
because again, as you said, you know, actually you said it very well, judgments, plural. Again, yes, you know, we read about Revelation and all these judgments that are going to happen. Uh, a lot of people believe that, yes, during the time of Yom Kippur, it's possible whenever he returns and Yom Kippur is happening. Uh, there are some people that believe that that's when a lot of these judgments are going on as well. So. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, when we read in the Old Testament about the day of the Lord, I mean, we've got these two ideas of the day of the Lord. So the one part of the idea is our redemption, like our resurrection, the resurrection of the dead and the rapture is all going to happen at the day of the Lord. But at the same time, we're going to see, you know, his judgment on the earth and Joel and other places that we read that um, it's kind of going to be a twofold thing. And it really reminds me of, you know, Jesus said it's going to be like the days of Noah and it's going to be like the days of Lot. And in both Noah's case and in Lot's case, um, Lot wasn't rescued out of Sodom and Gomorrah like a month before it happened. He like barely got out just in time before the destruction happened. And the same thing with Noah. It's like Noah wasn't sitting on the ark waiting and waiting for like a year or whatever before the floodwaters came. It's like God shut the door and boom, it started to rain. And so we're going to see when the Lord comes back. I I truly believe this. We're going to see this redemption of ourselves, the the resurrection of the dead. And then, you know, the judgments are going to begin to cleanse the earth through fire and, and other various um, judgments that are going to happen at that time. Sure. And actually, you said something fantastic. Uh, Noah, and then they finally closed the ark. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Because God came, what? As a thief in the night. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like a thief in the night when he least expected it. Interesting. Do we know when that actually happened, like the day of the year? I mean, I don't remember. It might say it in the scriptures, but I wonder, like, is it related at all to any of these celebratory times i'll have to do some research on that and figure that one out um so sure yeah. <laughs> okay. um yeah oh so i was gonna say as far as the year I, I i don't remember to be honest but it does relate to that and and uh, some people then there's a debate you got people well pre mid post rapture you know or being caught up um you know but it that does it does have a prophetic significance which you just you shared which is basically he sealed you know everything happened boom he seals the ark uh, you know, at the last minute, you know, why? Because he came as a thief in the night. So, again, it does have a prophetic fulfillment, mainly especially to uh, Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah. Okay. So um, now which of the feasts, because I know some of the feasts, all of the Jewish men were required to go to Jerusalem for those feasts. Which of those, which feasts of the year were they required to do to do that? Sure. So for your viewers, they can find this in Leviticus 23, just as a reference for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, the three were uh, Pente- uh, Pentecost, um, or excuse me, the Feast of Weeks, which is Shavuot, uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, you know, let's say Passover, but Unleavened Bread, and excuse me, and then Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, interesting. Well, okay, so that's the next one in our fall feast, right, is the is the Feast of Tabernacles, right? Uh, the next one uh, after Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah will be Yom Kippur. And then after Yom Kippur is Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. And so tell us again what the Feast of Tabernacles is commemorating. Well, I'll be honest. This is like my favorite feast out of all of them. Um, this is a time where people get to go camping. A lot of people will go camping. And okay. They, <laughs> and they get to be with a group of people uh, and to commemorate this. Uh, but basically it's my favorite feast because, okay, so the Feast of Tabernacles is also known, one of the names for it is also known as the Feast of Ingathering. So he will ingather his people from the nations as well. Wow. So it's the ingathering. And this is a time where, oh my gosh, it's just, it's so special. People will set up uh, sukkah booths, which are tabernacle booths, and they'll design them with, um, you know, fake fruits or they'll put real fruits, but you know, fake fruits is better. You want bugs all over, but... <laughs> Big fruits and beautiful the way they design the inside and the outside. I'll just if you if you get a chance if you Google uh, uh, suka booths uh, and just look on images on Google. So many creative people, so many creative ways they do this. Fantastic, uh, but again, it it it, uh, it represents a lot of things. So. Uh, for uh, the messianic perspective and prophetic perspective, Sukkot is the eighth day festival. Or, uh, yeah, eight day fe- or seven day festival within eighth day. And basically, it, the eight represents a new beginning in Scripture. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, amen. <laughs> it had to do, the people would celebrate it in ancient times where they were giving, or they had such faith that they were saying, thank you, Father, because we know that the crop next year, you're going to make it good for us once again. So they were so happy, and people would be rejoicing. They'd bring, you know, they didn't really have money uh, until the Romans came, but they would barter things and people would lend freely, you know, and they, uh, they'd they be celebrating this. And what happens is, is that 
Um, this is the time also prophetically where in the New Testament, in the book of John chapter 7, 37, where Messiah says, uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Rivers of you know, flowing water will come out of my, their belly. This would have been on the eighth day of that festival, which is Sukkot, uh, part of Sukkot. And it ties into Isaiah 55, 1 as well. Uh, again, let anyone who's thirsty to him. And of course, uh, this also ties into Revelation 21, 3. And, and uh, let me just read that real quick because I don't want to, <laughs> yeah. if I paraphrase it, I'll mess it up probably. <laughs> it says, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle. Notice that the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm made, I can't wait either. It's just, they all tie in. Oh, and one more thing too, as far as uh, tabernacles and Sukkot is that it also in the new Testament, it is the time, you know, he came to tabernacle with us once before, yes. but those that are in him, hallelujah, doesn't matter, you know, Jew, Gentile, whatever. Um, we are going to be with him. And he, that, as we read in revelation 21, three, it's going to be uh, an awesome time because he, he came once, but now we'll get to be with him once again. That's so exciting. And Sukkot is my favorite holiday as well. And, you know, with my family, we're not Jewish, but um, I enjoy learning about the feasts and teaching my kids about them. And so we set up, you know, sukkahs outside, but we're right now we're in Michigan and in the fall, especially at that time of year, it's often really, really cold. So we go out and hang out out there with our winter coats on and then come back inside. But um, I'm looking forward to in the future because we're going to be spending more and more time in Florida, being able to like do legit where we actually are outside and stay outside and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, we just love it. And yeah, it, so it doesn't have like this feeling of just like celebration and joy and I don't know. I just, there's just some excitement. And when you said even the in gathering, like I get goosebumps when I think about the in gathering and us getting to tabernacle with the Lord and never having to leave his presence is just beyond words exciting for me. Um, so yeah, so we talked a little bit about like what the fulfillment of this might be. Do you think that this is pointing toward or symbolizing a bit of like the millennial reign of Christ? Or what do you think that this is symbolizing kind of an end times prophecy? Well, it's to my understanding, I, I've always understood this and, and other uh, teachers, too, that it does have to do with the millennial reign also as well. And it says, uh, and it shall come to pass that everyone who's left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. So there we go. Uh, you found it. And then... Uh, and that, um, excuse me, and it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them, there will be no rain. Uh, if the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep what? The Feast of Tabernacles again. Uh, this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep what? The Feast of Tabernacles. So so obviously that's a really important one and one that we're going to be at least continuing to keep um, when Messiah is reigning during the millennial reign. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm glad you found it. Seriously, because that would have been eating me up. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Okay, so can you tell me, I know we're backtracking a little bit here, I think chronologically, but can you tell me what are the 10 days of awe? What are they traditionally and what are they prophetically? Um, okay, so the 10 days of awe is, again, it's part of that period that I spoke of where people are trying to get things right. They're trying to to make things right. And then it usually falls right towards the end of um towards the end of the feast of Yom Teruah. And then there's like a, there's like a 10 day gap in between where you got 10 days left to get it all right, you know, to be written in the book of life. So that's pretty much the 10 days of awe. That's like the short version of it. Well, I, it also, I also am wondering too, like, you know, when Antichrist comes and he sets up his abomination of desolation in the temple and, you know, Jesus says, if you're in Judea, flee, you know, and to get out during this time period. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then I was reading in Revelation, I think it's Revelation 12, where it talks about the woman who is Israel, who gives birth to the man child, which is obviously Jesus. And then Jesus is caught up to God on his throne 
town. And then it says that the dragon pursued the woman, but that she was sheltered, um, I think, in the wilderness for something like 1,200 and I don't know if it's 60 days. I don't remember exactly the days, but it's a three and a half year time period that she's being sheltered. And then during that time period, Satan goes off to make war with her offspring, which I, I take to mean the church, you know, because um, they're the only ones left. If, if Israel is being protected in the wilderness, the only one else that it could be would be the church that he's persecuting during that time. And so I just wonder, because I know that I think it's in the prophets where God talks to his people about kind of wooing them back to himself and writing their law on his on their hearts, you know, and all this kind of stuff that I wonder what's going to happen during this time frame when they when they flee from Jerusalem after the abomination of desolation and the Antichrist starts wreaking havoc. You know, what is God going to be doing with his people during that time with with Israel during that time, as far as like wooing them back to himself. And also, I remember in the prophecies about how those who have pierced him will mourn, like they're going to see the sign of the Son of Man, and they're going to be mourning and grieving. And I think about Yom Shirua, you know, that 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 time frame is a time really of kind of grief, you know, where you're kind of um, afflicting yourself, you know, that you are going through this period of mourning and, and repentance. And I just wonder if those two seasons are you know, correlated. And then this days of awe, is this going to be a time period where God is speaking to Israel and saying, I, I'm the one, you know, and where they're kind of having this reconciliation going on during this time period. It's just something that I've been wondering. Sure. Um, well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways people look at it, but um, yeah, as far as the afflicting of yourself, that also happens in Yom Kippur. Okay. Um, you're told to afflict yourself uh, in, in Leviticus chapter 23 uh, when it explains what to do. Uh, so that does tie into it. There's there's affliction. During the Yom Teruah, which, yeah, is part of it, you're starting to, they're starting to, uh, rec, you know, reconcile, repent, right? And then you also have the Yom Kippur where there, now there's the affliction going on. And during that time, there's like, I believe that, um, much like you, that there's going to probably be some turmoil and judgment going on. Um, the beauty of Revelation 12 is that it's found in, in Genesis chapter 3, okay? And I tell this to, to our congregation and to believers that everything that's written in the book, in the beginning you'll find it in the end, and everything in the end, in the beginning, and in between. Uh, let me just share. It says in Genesis 3.15, And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall brush your head, excuse me, he'll bruise your head, and he shall uh, bruise his heel. Now, this is talking both about Messiah, as you said. So again, there's that dual prophecy we've talked about before, where it's speaking of Messiah, but this is also talking about, it says, the offspring. Well, in Revelation 12, what does it say? Well, let's go there for a minute. And it, again, tying into what you just mentioned, um, Revelation 12, where it says in uh, verse 17, and the dragon we know who the dragon is, if you read Revelation, it says, was enraged with the woman. So again, dual prophecy. I believe it's both Messiah, but it also ties into all, all of God's people, Jew and Gentile, right, that are believers. And it says, and he went to make war with the rest, there you go, with like what you said, the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, or Yeshua Mashiach. was repeated in 1412, one more time, a revelation where it says, um, here is the patient of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ, or Yeshua HaMashiach. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with with pretty much what you're saying. Uh, I believe it's both. And as far as the Zech, I think it's Zechariah 12, 12, 10, or 11, where he says, uh, they shall look to him whom they pierced, and they will mourn, mm -hmm. as they do as an only born son. Mm -hmm. Well, again, this ties, I do believe that that ties into uh, many people say that's just a lot of Jews coming into faith. No, I believe many Jews and Gentiles, even I believe Gentiles will be reached with this too, mm -hmm. where they're going to realize that Jesus guy we heard about, you know, and the Jewish people, the, this Yeshua guy we've been told about, he was the one or he is the one. And then people will be repenting. So there you go. There's Yom Kippur, part of that season, repentance. Uh, then there's going to be affliction. And then, of course, once it all, when the wedding feast happens, boom, everything's happy, happily ever after again. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, I love that you brought up, you know, what's going on in Genesis, the things that happen in the beginning happen again at the end. And God uses these patterns to communicate to us and uses these symbols. I mean, just recently I started doing a study on this woman giving birth because that is, you know, the Revelation 12 sign is the woman giving birth. But then Jesus talked in Matthew 24 about the woman travailing in labor, just like a woman coming into labor. And that imagery 
history of the woman giving birth and this labor pain is from the beginning. And even what you just mentioned, because even in the beginning when... Um, you know, everything gets cursed because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And he even says, you know, you're going to have to travail when you give birth to children. It's not going to be easy, you know? And so sure. it's like this idea of this travailing is going to happen from the beginning all the way to the end. And speaking of Genesis, it's so cool that you kind of brought this up because it ties us all up to where I was going to go next, which is in Genesis 1, um, verse 14, it says that God put the sun, moon, and stars in the sky for signs, number one. It's not, it doesn't mean astrology. He put them there for signs. For us, though they were his creation, he did this, and also for seasons. And the word there that's translated seasons is not really the word seasons in Hebrew. I mean, you know, when we um, when we hear it in the English, we think of like fall, winter, you know, spring. But that's sure. not that's not what is meant there. And can you tell us what that original word is in the Hebrew, and what does God actually mean by that? Sure. So uh, this the word for the feast and how it ties into that is Moedim, mm -hmm. and it means appointed times. So the, God had set up appointed his his uh, the moon the stars to set up his appointed times and his festivals. Now this is one of the, the the bad things I see in our walk as far as those that pursue the feasts and the Sabbath is that you got people people bickering over the calendars. You got people that supposedly have these revelations that they're following this calendar and that calendar and all that. And well, you know, the Jewish calendar is all preset and blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the in the end, Colossians 2, 16 and 17 tells us not to judge our brethren how we keep the feast, the Sabbath, da, da, da. So we're not to judge uh, how they keep it. But as far as, far as the season, some people are so uh, dogmatic where, no, it's this calendar. And then because the moon, like there's, I, I tease and I say, uh, new moon, dark moon, because these are all the, the terms they use, like dark moon, light moon. Uh, a sliver of the moon, full moon, moon over Miami. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, so, um, but as far as that, yeah, the word is Moedim, and it means to set apart times. Right. Uh, his, their appointments. Right. Um, so for like the people that are new to this that might be watching, uh, I would tell them, think of think of when you set up a, like a doctor's appointment. You set up the time, the date, so you're going to meet up with the doctor. Or if you're going for an interview, you've got the time and a date. It's an appointed time. Well, this is our Heavenly Father just saying, look, I love you so much that I want to spend these appointed times with you. I want it's you know, it's like a parent saying, hey, you know, you can go out with your friends anytime. I want to spend this this weekend with you or this day with you. Um, and I want to stress something, too, while if, if I may, um, there is a misconception by uh, unfortunately that people people there's a lot of people that think that those of us that keep the feast and the Sabbath and all that that we are, are are doing it for salvation. We are not doing it for salvation. There's a That's a very big misconception I see, and I tell people, no, we don't keep these things, uh, these seasons, these Moedim, as you asked. Um, we don't do this uh, for salvation. We do it because we are saved. It's a, a love-inspired obedience uh, towards our Heavenly Father. So, no, we're not doing it for brownie points. We're doing it because we love Him, and, we, and, and they'll say, well, that's the Jewish feast, and no, technically, and this is something that a lot of people won't like because of dogma, you know, but uh, the feast in Leviticus 23, the set-apart Moedim, these set-apart times, as you were asking about, uh, he says, these are my appointed feasts and my appointed time for all of Israel. Now, here's another kicker, golden nugget, chum. Um in ancient Israel, or excuse me, when, the, when uh, Egypt, I teach about this in Passover, in the wilderness... There was what's known as Erev Rav, which means a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. Many of them took on the covenant and they were adopted as an Israelite. And you could read that in the book of Numbers and all that. It says if the alien or the stranger wants to sojourn, in other words, he wants to take on the one true God and follow his ways, then you are to treat them. You're no, they're not even really considered a Gentile anymore. They're considered a part of Israel now. Okay, so... These so these feasts are for believers too. Like for people say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a Gentile Christian. Well, that's another teaching I'd like to explain to you sometime. But uh, you're not really a Gentile anymore. But I, I won't go there right now. But my point is, is that these appointed feasts that you asked about, these Moedim, um, these set apart times. That's like the best way to translate it. Uh, are for even our Christian brethren. They are for, for all of God's people. Why? Because they are his set-apart days, his set-apart times. And yes, at, you know, people that want to bicker over calendars, yes, at one time, like you, like you had mentioned in Genesis, 
people knew by the stars and the moon and all that. But things have happened right now that are beyond our control. And I believe that Messiah will restore these calendars and all that when he returns. But we do our best. But as far as, yes, as far as the seasons go, uh, they're not like, like you know, spring uh, you know, March, you know, like, like, like April, like these, these, uh, you, know, you got winter, fall, um, you know, uh, summer, it's more of, it, it's an appointed time. Right. It's an appointment with God. So they are appointments, you know, yeah, exactly. And I love the fact that you brought up, they are appointments and they're his appointments and God keeps his appointments, you know, and just like he kept mm-hmm. to the day, exactly his spring feasts he's going to exactly to the day keep the fall feasts and these are like days that he set apart from the whole entire year like pointing to those days pay attention here pay attention here and so we do well to learn from that and to pay attention to the dates that are there and i've gotten very frustrated with just some christians that want to say well looking at the stars as astrology and all this kind of stuff and i'm just sitting here saying God made them, and from the beginning when he made them, he said they were for signs and they were for his appointed, his appointments, basically, his appointed seasons, his appointed festivals, you know, which actually the festivals didn't, he didn't really bring those out until, you know, Moses' time, but he established them from the beginning because he knew those appointments, he was going to keep those things. And so I think, well, when the Lord tells us, and there's certain signs that are talked about in the Bible, Revelation 12 is one of them, and then the other one is the sign of the return of Christ, which is what I call the celestial darkening. And that's talked about in Joel and in Matthew and Revelation, various places throughout scriptures. But it's like, God told us these signs were going to happen. And so if we are faithful followers of him, shouldn't we believe him? his word that they are going to be fulfilled like i keep asking people do you think these days are going to literally be fulfilled do you think the sign is going to literally be fulfilled i think the sign is going to literally be fulfilled well if it is shouldn't i be watching and see what's going to happen when that happens um so not that we have to get all crazy with do we think the rapture is going to happen on this day or whatever because i don't think that's what the bible's pointing to but let's read the scriptures and let's wait with expectation of what God's going to do. Maybe we can't predict ahead of time what's going to happen, but at least we can be waiting with anticipation and just trusting God that he's going to fulfill his word. You know, we're not, this isn't astronomy where we're trying to predict our own future by, by the stars <laughs> or anything like that. And, and I also tell people, you know, Satan loves to corrupt the things that are true. And so Satan will take the good things of God and he will make a corrupted form of it. But just because there's a corrupted form of it doesn't mean there isn't a genuine form of it that is God's. And he has every right to use it, you know, so they're his, so he can do with them what he wants to. And if he said to us, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, then we should believe and wait and expect for that to happen. Um, so, and it's not astrology, it's astronomy and it's, and it's biblical prophecy. So that's my little soapbox for the day, I guess. <laughs> no, you know, I, I agree with you 110%. People need to be careful what they call. I'm looking to see if I, if I have that book nearby, I can show you it. Um, People need to be careful what they call good and evil because, as you said, uh, yeah, here it is. There is astronomy and astrology, okay? And there, this this is a book that uh, good Christians can in- invest in. It's E.W. Bullinger, and it's The Witness of the Stars. And it actually mentions, I do believe, the Revelation 12 in there. Um, let me see if I can find a picture of it. Basically, like, you know, he's, he goes through, like, you know, these – the the. The stars and all that. And again, E.W. Bullinger, he was a believer. He was a Christian believer. And I agree with you that basically, you know, there is astronomy and astrology and Satan uh, will counterfeit. He's going to counterfeit things that were meant for good. And I see this all the time, even amongst people that are uh, what we call Torah pursuant. Um, I tend to call them the Torah terrorists because of the fact that, you know, everything is pagan too. Like, you know, like, so they'll go and attack our Christian brethren for everything. And uh, I tell them, well, let me ask you something. And and I know this is, I hope this is not too crude. (laughs) I ask them, do you own a toilet? And they'll say, well, yeah. Well, you do know that the toilet was a pagan invention for the Pharaoh back in Egypt. So, uh, you know, (laughs) I'm just saying, I mean, if you want to look at it that way, you know, I mean, mean, there's pagan symbolism on our money for Pete's sake. I mean, what are you going to stop living? I mean, so I, right. I agree with you. And, yeah. um, you know, I do I do a series called um, Three Years Back. That's what got me interested in that whole Revelation 12 thing was three years back. I did a two-year two year study, painstaking study, and I call it Nativity, Truth versus Tradition. And uh, I talk about how in September on a clear night you can see, you know, the, the, the dragon nearby and the woman and all that. 
But then I learned later on that this would be the year where they all line up. I thought that's pretty cool. Um, but I think that a lot of Christians might uh, might be afraid because of all the predictions. Prophecy sells. Mm. I love prophecy. I love it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love it. But at the same time, there's been so many people that have tried to predict. And I think that it might scare believers. And there's just some people that believers that may not know that, yes, uh, like, for instance, Abraham navigated by the stars. I believe there is a passage in Scripture that speaks of that where Abraham. And back then, here's a little uh, history for you, too. In ancient Israel, even in Messiah's time, people could hang out on the top of their house, the way that the, the old Israelite houses were. You could go up the steps, these ladders that they would put. And on the roof, you, you know, it talks about uh, those who are on the rooftop and mm -hmm. fleeing Judea. Yep. What are they doing on the rooftop? Well, they used to hang out. Sometimes they'd sleep on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. And on a clear night, they'd see the stars. So here's, I'll give you one golden nugget from that teaching, and I'll hush up after this, but <laughs> um, the three wise men, how do you think they knew how to find Messiah? Right. The truth is out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's the whole thing is like here, and this what I, I go over the story with people all the time about the wise men coming to, they're following the star, they're coming and they speak to Herod and they, they say the king is born, where is he? And so then Herod asks the, the Pharisees and the scribes, well, where where is he supposed to be born? And they knew, they searched and they knew and they said, hey, in Bethlehem, but who went? It was the wise men that went. And so here, the ones who had the scriptures that told of the prophecy, they even knew that the prophecy he was there did they go to worship him no they didn't and it's like here we are and we have all these scriptures about these signs that are going to happen and are we paying attention to them are we being like the magi and following those signs or are we going to just be dismissive of it like the pharisees and the scribes where they were just dismissive and um, they weren't looking for it weren't looking for the fulfillment and i agree with you that a lot of times people overhype things and they they make all these predictions well the rapture is going to happen now well i'm sorry it doesn't necessarily say that in the book of revelation in revelation 12 that that's when the rapture is going to happen i mean i sure. think and i did a whole series on this but i think it's a lot more likely because it talks about the battle in heaven that happens and then satan getting thrown down to earth and um, the fallen angels coming with them i think that's more likely but the prophecy seems to span a large portion of time because it talks about jesus being born and going up into the throne so we don't know for sure like is something specific going to happen on that time but i do think it's wise you know to be paying attention to those things and and just not being so dismissive of it um but yeah i think you're right i think people are scared because of like hyped stuff like when people say oh yeah the rapture is going to happen on this day and then when the rapture doesn't happen on that day, it makes all Christians look kind of bad, you know? So I can sure. understand, I can understand a little bit, you know, the being cautious. And the other thing about prophecy is a lot of times we don't understand it until after it's come to pass. Like there were prophets, prophecies about Jesus. He was going to be born in Bethlehem, but he was going to be a Nazarene. And yet it said, out of Egypt, I've called my son. You know, it's like if you're looking at those before the event happens, you're thinking, How's all that going to work? How are all those things going to fit together? But then all sure. of a sudden, after the fact, you go, oh, makes perfect sense now, you know? So yes. we just, we do need to be studying the scriptures. And I, and I am so passionate about it. Even if we don't understand everything about biblical prophecy, yet we see in, we, we see in part right now, we see like through a glass dimly, but it doesn't mean we should stop looking, you know, it doesn't mean we should stop looking at the scriptures and anticipating for their fulfillment. Um, and I do believe that if we are looking and searching those things, God is, when they do happen, that God's going to let us know because we're the ones who are waiting and watching for it. He's going to, you know, let us know those things because we're searching for it like the wise men. I, I agree. I agree with you 110 percent. And, you know, it's it's kind of like not to get off topic, but like, for instance, just a real quick thing, like the, the mark of the beast, the whole mark of the beast thing. And, and you every year you got... I, I the same thing that you said pretty much I tell people listen I believe that if it happen if it does happen in our lifetime those of us that are watching those of us that are really concerned those of us and not concerned living in fear but con concerned to warn others and and so forth I believe we will see it you know he will allow us to see it because we're being faithful to watch for it we're 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 doing our part in fact Hosea where he says my people perish for lack of knowledge well that's not just only bible knowledge I mean uh, it could be, you know, things in life, like, you know, people don't go to the doctor, you know, they can perish for lack of knowledge. Right. I mean, so, um, you know, they, they do the same thing with that. But I agree with you with these with these signs that they're given us signs. And I do believe that, yeah, the closer that they get to the sign, maybe some people will figure it out. Uh, it, it may happen to where as it's happening, you know, as you said, or a little bit later, 
But we will know, I do believe, one way or the other. Those that are watching, those that are really concerned, I do believe he will let us know. And that's where people, um, I think they get a little too caught up into the hype, as you said, where you know they're they're thinking, oh my gosh, well, well you know, what if it's this year? What if it's next year? You're not supposed to live in fear either. But uh, to, but I I look at it as living in, in excitement, like okay. Is it going to happen this year? If it yeah. does, great, you know. Right. So <laughs> exactly, and with the whole thing with the mark of the beast, I was just reading—I don't remember if it's Revelation 14 or 15—I was just reading through this. It says that um, they're going to God is going to send an angel from heaven to proclaim the eternal gospel, so that everyone on earth is going to hear it. Number one. Then there's going to be another angel that comes and gives warning: Do not take the mark of the beast. And so I just think how loving and compassionate of our Father. Like we who are looking, we see now that technology exists for. people people to put the mark, a mark of a beast, you know, if that were on the, on the hand or in the forehead or whatever for buying and selling, we see that that technology now exists and um, that it's possible um, for that, that to be fulfilled in our lifetime. We can see how that would work technologically, you know, wise, um, technology wise, but, um, but it is so reassuring to know that he's going to send an angel to proclaim the whole eternal gospel to the world before this happens. And that he will send another angel to say, don't take the mark of the beast because it's really, it's really serious. And, you know, I'm going to do a series on this, but I haven't done it yet. Just about, we we've heard in the gospels about the unpardonable sin, you know, where the, Pharisees were blaspheming the Holy Spirit and they were calling the work of Jesus, they were calling it the work of the devil, basically. And Jesus says, you know, if you if you um, blaspheme me or the Father, that can be forgiven. But any sin against the Holy Spirit, that's never going to be forgiven. And, and so we think of that as the only unpardonable sin. But then here, there is another unpardonable sin where he says, if you take the mark of the beast, there is no inheritance of the kingdom of God for you. And so it's really important that we know not to take it. And so we should be teaching on it. But I'm just so grateful that we have such a loving and merciful God that he has said he will send an angel out to proclaim to the whole world, don't take the mark of the beast. So everyone will know and have that opportunity to choose whether they're going to stand for God or whether they're not at that time. And God's going to give us the grace that we need. I know that as Christians, we can look at that time and we can be, we could try, we could be afraid, but I don't think we need to be afraid of that time. I mean, the other people in the world, the apostles, as well as people in modern day today that are dying for their faith, in and of ourselves, we can't do that. We don't, and our flesh wouldn't do that. But God's Spirit is going to give us the grace that we need so that, you know, like Peter, who in his flesh denied Christ three times, but yet in the Spirit was able to, you know, die for his faith, you know? And so I believe that we will be able to, if, if God has appointed us to that, we will, he will give us the grace that we need for that time. And we absolutely do not need to li live in fear um, about those times and about those days. And we can, we can be excited because just like Paul, he said, for me to die is gain. Like for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so if I'm living here in the flesh right now, I'm suffering and this is not ideal, but I'm willing to do it for the sake of Christ. But when I die, that's going to be gain. And if we can look Look at life that way. Um, maybe we won't be so afraid about what is coming down the pike, which honestly, it's only going to last a short period of time. I know sometimes we get so overwhelmed thinking about what's going to happen during this great tribulation, all this kind of stuff. But there is a short appointed time where Satan is going to have his wrath and it's short. There's a short window. I think it's three and a half years that he is going to have, you know, his appointed time to do what he's going to do. And then Jesus is going to take care of it all after that. And I'm like, okay, so three and a half years, you know, some of it, we might be here for all of it. Some of it we might be only here for part of it, but we can do it. And, um, and yeah, so I'm just, yeah, I don't want us to live in fear as Christians about the end times and just to live in anticipation, like you were saying earlier about that sweet time that we're going to have when we get to tabernacle with God and that he is going to win. He's going to wipe away every single tear from our eyes, take away all the suffering. He's going to right the wrongs. And um, yeah, I can't wait for that day. <laughs> Amen. Myself, myself included. Yep. Well, I just want to thank you so much for taking this time with us today, Pastor Gomez. And I'm sure that my viewers have learned a whole lot because I think there's many of us. I mean, I have studied the feasts a bit. I love them and I, I love to study about them. But I think this is really going to be eye opening for many people that have no idea about the fall feasts or about their prophetic significance. And so it really ties in with what we're doing right now with our end times prophecy series. So thank you so much for coming on the channel today. Sure. I, I thank you for having me. And uh, if I may, I'd just like to share one last thing. If, Absolutely. Um, as far as the feasts go, uh, to encourage your, your viewers, um, I, I know I'd, I'd asked you about this before, but um, for instance, um, so like I just want to give a brief overview. So 
Passover uh, is Messiah dying for us. Uh, unleavened bread is he is the bread that came down from heaven. Um, the feast of first fruits, he is the first fruit amongst God. He was the only begotten son, hallelujah, who was raised. The feast of weeks, uh, Shavuot, which is later became the fulfillment of Pentecost. We received the Holy Spirit. Now he indwells in those of us that are believers. Then, of course, Yom Kippur, uh, the pos or me, Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, the possible return of Messiah. Then uh, the the judgment of Yom Kippur, the judgment and all uh, the atoning, and then of course the uh, tabernacles, which is the uh, oh, I'm so tongue tied now. <laughs> tabernacles is when we are finally with him forever for eternity and in a new beginning because it is an eight day festival. So yeah, that's exciting. That is so awesome to think about. Yeah, that eighth day taking into the new the new. I mean, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Gomez, for coming on our channel today. And I hope to be able to have you back at a future time when we start talking about the feasts again, maybe in the springtime. But thank you so much for taking your time to help us learn more about these feasts. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate it. And I'd love to come back anytime. Great. Thanks. And I want to thank you so much for joining us in our study of the fall feasts as they're about to transpire. And we look forward to the day when Jesus fulfills every single one of these appointed times on God's calendar. And I look forward to seeing you guys in the next video. We're going to be coming back to our study of the book of Revelation, what your pastor never told you about the book of Revelation. This has been a fascinating study so far. And as we see end times prophecy beginning to be fulfilled, it's so important that we know what the Bible has to say about it so that we can prepare ourselves and prepare our family for what's about to happen. And I look forward to seeing you guys in the next video. Until next time, this has been Dana with the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you to understand the Bible better so that you can have a better relationship with God. Have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to the Wisdom Calls podcast. For more exclusive content, visit whatyourpastorneverToldyou.com. Sign up for emails and get updates. Also, there you'll find our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channels. Thanks for listening and join us next time.